All right, are you awake? <laughs> if you're not, you are now. I'm Janine. This is Get the Funk Out, and you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Happy Monday, everyone. I want to tell you about my first guest who's standing by to join us. Author and teacher Melanie Brooks is joining us to talk about a bunch of things. Uh, I had her on early last year. Uh, we're talking about her book, Writing Hard Stories, Celebrated Memoirs Who Shaped Art from Trauma. I heard about Melanie in Poets and Writers magazine, which I love. And uh, it was so intriguing how she interviewed all these different writers and the different things they went through and how she captured this. And she's also going to share her own personal story. So let me bring her on right now. My pleasure to welcome to this week's show, Melanie Brooks. Good morning, Melanie. Good morning, Janine. Nice to have you back. It's wonderful to be back. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. As I mentioned to the listeners, I first heard about you in Poets and Writers, and I actually have a subscription. I love this magazine. It's very inspiring. And tell me, what inspired you to write this book for people that don't know you? So I had begun an MFA program in 2013, and I decided to start writing into a difficult family story. And Do you want me to talk a little bit about that I story? W- yes, I would. I think that would okay. be great. Um, so the circumstance around, you know, kind of the writing that I was doing was in 1985, when I was 13, my father, who was a, an accomplished surgeon, um, had a heart attack at the age of 42, oh. and it was three months before Canada, we were living in Canada at the time, and it was three months before Canada started screening blood for infectious disease, and my father underwent a quadruple bypass surgery and mm-hmm. was infected with HIV. Oh, my And gosh. for you and your listeners who remember <sighs> what the climate was in 1985 surrounding HIV and AIDS, yes. it was a very different climate than today, and there was a lot of stigma and fear yes. fueling a very intolerant society. And, you know, because my father feared both for himself and what people would think about him, but also for us and the risk it posed to all of us, he decided that he would keep his illness a secret. He expected that he would be dead within months, you know, because at that time, people who were finding out they were HIV positive were dying very quickly. And what they didn't know at the time was they had probably been living with the virus in their system for a long period of time. And so um, my dad anticipated he would be dead within a year, Mm -hmm. but he lived for another 10 years. And so we lived kind of with this this dual life, this secret um, within our family for that 10-year period until um, the year my father died, he and my mom wrote a book themselves and told their story. And so when I started my MFA program, I I thought I would write about kind of my perspective on this story and didn't realize that in doing that I would be kind of peeling back layers of trauma Mm -hmm. that I didn't even really know were there. And um, so when I began to do that, I began, you know, I kind of found myself re-traumatized in the process and Mm -hmm. really felt like I'm not sure that I can cope with this kind of the emotional journey of writing the story and felt, you know, really felt like I might might not be able to do it. And so I decided that I wanted to talk to other writers who had written through stories of trauma and kind of made it to that other side of publishing their book and talk to them about their own journeys and hoped that that would 
be helpful to mine. Mm-hmm. I didn't begin with the purpose of writing a book at all. It was really a selfish, kind of a selfish project for myself. And um, But what happened was, in talking to these writers, and I ended up talking to 18 memoirists, I you know, the wisdom that they gave to me and the encouragement that they gave to me became something that I recognized I could not keep to myself. And I realized that if somebody had given me a book like Writing Hard Stories at the beginning of my MFA program, when I kind of set out to start writing this story, I wouldn't have felt nearly as alone as I did. And I wouldn't have felt kind of nearly like I, there was something wrong with me mm-hmm. in, in the way I was responding to this writing I was doing. And so that was really my, my purpose in deciding to turn this into a book, was that I really felt like it was something other writers needed. This I'm I'm really blown away right now. I'm listening to you and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, the, I didn't know so much of this backstory when I first had you on last year. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many things I want to ask you right now. First of all, it must have been a remarkable feeling of um, you know enlightenment and healing to listen to other people's stories um, who had gone through you know so many other painful experiences. I mean, what does that feel like, interviewing all these different people? Well, I think what I've discovered, especially in this year since the book was published and going out and talking about it and talking to other people, Mm -hmm. is we are all just kind of thirsting for stories that we can relate to. And I think that's why the memoir genre is so popular. But I think also, you know, any of us who are experiencing something difficult want to know that we're not by ourselves in that process. And I think that that's what talking to these writers did for me. It was a sense of companionship, and they all kind of were able to say, you know, I've been where you are, and I understand what you're going through, and you will get through this. And that was, you know, that was exactly what I needed to hear. Right. The other thing I want to, this is going way back to the beginning when you first started is, um, was your mom always a writer? Was your dad always a writer? Because what a gift. No. Really? They weren't, actually. You know, my dad, my dad, I would say, had very great literary skills, but neither, and, and my mom as well, and, mm-hmm. but neither of them were writers. And so they sat down and just really tried to put a narrative to their journey. So their book that they published was just kind of, here's what happened to us. And you know, kind of published it at the time with the same purpose of why I think many of us write, which is maybe other people going through this experience will benefit from hearing about it. And I think at the time, you know, the stories that were being published were different than the stories my parents were, li- the stories my parents were living. You know, most of the literature that was coming out about HIV and AIDS was coming from the LGBTQ community. Mm-hmm. And so they had, my parents had a different angle to this story that I think was important to put out there just to say, you know, we, have, we don't need to put the same face for everyone who is suffering from this disease. And, you know, that was important to them, and I, I think it was important for readers. Yeah. I find it remarkable, as I'm sure you did, that your mm-hmm. dad survived 10 years after he was diagnosed. Right, right. I mean, it was a... It, for for me, and that this is kind of the at the heart of the book that I'm writing. Nobody knew he was going to live that long, and mm-hmm. so we were all just kind of wait. You know, we at that time, HIV AIDS was a death sentence. There right. was no hope that he was going to survive. So we all knew that 
he, his death was pending, yes. but it, you know, but we didn't know how he was going to die. We didn't know when he was going to die. We didn't know what that was going to look like and when that was going to come. And so for 10 years, we kind of lived with this anticipatory grief of what was coming. Horrible, horrible. It, yeah. it was horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, I say that because my dad had cancer, and I remember feeling like this every mo- every day, every moment is in any day now, and you're just holding your breath, and it's, right. it's a terrible way to live. Um, it's uh, you know I always ask my listeners, uh, you know the theme of my show is get the funk out, it, and it sounds like writing has always been your catharsis, your way of dealing with life and processing and finding meaning. It has been, and you know, it began with reading. I was a voracious reader when I was a child, and I found my escape through books and, you know, kind of latched onto these characters whom I loved and, you know, really kind of found companionship in the characters I loved in the books that I was reading. And I think that that kind of built a foundation for me to eventually become a writer because I, I recognized what words could do in terms of comfort and expression and being able to kind of give understanding to experiences. Mm-hmm. I, I always share with people, especially when I have writers on my show, that you, all you have to do is travel with a notebook, whether it's a little small one in your bag or you're on a plane, um, and jot down things that move you, um, anything. You know, I was at a, right. a show last weekend seeing Jane Lynch, and I was sitting next to my daughter, and she'd never really experienced live jazz. And watching her face light up and thinking about being eight years old in New York City and watching my first um, a concert with an electric guitarist and walking right up to him and staring at him playing and how that made me feel and shaped me for the rest of my life. Right. Right. And so though you just capture those. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, you know, I I I think a lot of writers do. I have a particularly good memory and I have a tendency to kind of store things as images in my mind. And I think that what happens for me is I have this whole kind of storage bin in my head of these images that mm-hmm. I know at some point are going to make themselves found, you know, are going to find a place in my writing. And you know, that's kind of what happens. Things come up. I, I wrote a piece last week um, in connection to the anniversary of um, the Haiti earthquake that I had kind of carried for eight years, the story of a student of mine who lost his sister in the earthquake and oh. just kind of our interaction during that time. And, you know, it took eight years to find a place to write that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's been sitting in my head waiting for that to happen. And I think what I discovered when I began writing my own memoir was the storage bin of memories over that 10-year period, and then subsequently the almost 20 years after my dad died before I started writing about it mm-hmm. was dramatically big. <laughs> and, and so to kind of dig into that storage bin got very overwhelming. It, it's like if somebody, you know, kind of made you sort through somebody's house that you didn't really know what you were looking for, but you had to go sort through everything. And that's kind of what happened to me yes. in the process of beginning to write this memoir. It's so, it's so intriguing. I, and I, um, I did this thing in November, the National Novel Writing Month. Mm-hmm. And have you heard of it? What's yes. It? Okay, so I did this. Yeah. And it was like literally what you're describing and all these different stories, maybe short ones I've written or things I'm thinking about. And I wrote all these short stories and I came up with this massive... A novel of short stories and it was just like dumping it all out and putting it one place felt really good that's wonderful you know? that's wonderful 
what advice? And I can't, I can't say that for me it was feeling good. <laughs> no. <laughs> that, that was, I think that was part of my problem. It was feeling horrible. It was feeling like, you know, what am I doing? Why am I, why am I doing this? You know, and, and, and that was part of the reason that I sought out these writers to kind of help me dissect that. But I think it's, um, there's always a reason for everything. And I think, obviously, you were meant to do this, and it, it was meant to be your project for so many reasons. I think I always knew that I would write about it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we, when my parents wrote their book, that was kind of, we, we and our family kind of all considered that the official story. So I don't think I really recognized that, you know, I was going to be writing a different kind of story mm-hmm. about this and, and that, you know, my story was not the same as the quote-unquote official story. And, you know, looking at it through my, through my lenses is a different kind of story than what my parents lived or what my three brothers have lived. And right. so kind of coming to that recognition can be both, you know, kind of exuberant but also terrifying because yes. for the longest time, you know, I think this is the nature of secret keeping. You don't realize you have a voice in a circumstance. You don't realize that there's something for you to say about it because right. you've been kept from saying anything about it. Sure. And I think for me, kind of trying to uncover the voice that I have in this story has been has been what has been more traumatizing than anything else, I think, because it's trying to find a sense of confidence in what you have to say when your whole kind of nature is you're not supposed to say anything. Yeah. Well, to have to live for 10 years knowing something that you can't tell anybody and hold, right. holding your breath for 10 years is, I can't even imagine. I mean, the strength yeah. you must have had at that age. Oh, well, thank you. You know, I think one of the things, you know, I I try to make clear is, you know, when you're living that experience, you're just living it. It's what you're living. It's what you're going through. And mm-hmm. I and it wasn't like for 10 years, every day was trauma. I mean, my right. parents worked very, very hard to try to create a sense of normalcy for us and mm-hmm. to try to, you know, make our lives as full and rich as they could in the midst of this. But when there's always that underlying thing, you know, it, it makes it hard to completely embrace the life you're living when you know that there's this other thing just kind of lurking around the corner. And I think that that is what I've been exploring is, you know, not this horribly terrible childhood because right. it wasn't. Okay. But, but, all, but this, this experience of, you know, kind of shutting down this whole piece of myself that was expecting, anticipating, waiting, fearing, you know, and mm-hmm. so confused and uncertain. So here's my question. If you could look back at your 13-year-old self, what do you think it was that kept you positive? I mean, perhaps, I'm sure you weren't always positive, but what were the things that kept you sane and happy at times? Well, I'll say, first of all, you know, I I think one of the roles I played in my family and have played in my family is kind of to be the bearer of joy, you know, that that is, um, my middle name is Joy, and my dad's nickname for me was Melanie Joy Bells, and I kind of... I kind of lived into that role very easily. You know, mm-hmm. I think my personality kind of put me that that place, but I think I I I very much defined myself by that and and worked very hard to play that role in my family and and for me 
at times that became suffocating, you right. know, but, oh, but sure. also it enabled me to kind of figure out a way to, to experience the things that I was experiencing and really, really see the positives in them and see those experiences for what they were. Um, I mean, we, my parents and my brothers, we were a close family. We were a close-knit family, and we did a lot of things together. And, you know, there wasn't a lot of kind of sitting around looking at each other, wondering what was going on. I think, you know, we were very busy. We were, you know, kind of, we were living a very full life in the Mm -hmm. midst of this. So I think that was helpful. That's good. What advice would you give people that are aspiring writers? I think, you know, one of the things that I would say is, you know, when you're, when, especially if they're, if they're writing, writers of memoir or memoir that is dealing with difficult topics, I think be prepared is one of the things I would say. Be prepared that it's not going to be such an easy process and recognize that you don't have to cope with kind of all of the residual feelings and repercussions of what comes up in the writing process by yourself. You know, mm-hmm. I, I am a huge proponent of, you know, finding a writing community, finding people who understand what it is that you're doing so that they can, you know, be a support to you. Um, find other ways to kind of deal with whatever the, the emotions are that are going to come up. But also I would say, you know, and this is what I kept hearing from the writers that I was talking to, there will come, a, and, it, and it happened for me, there will come a place in the process where you recognize that you have kind of gotten over the hump of the trauma in the sense of not that it's gone, not that, you know, you've kind of purged it from yourself in any sense of, of the word, but that you've gotten to a place where you kind of see the direction you're headed and you recognize, you know, what it is that you're trying to do for readers. Taking the story out of yourself and putting it on the page in a way that you've taken control of it enables you to then kind of bring it back into yourself and and know how to tell that story differently. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, that's where you're headed as a writer. That's what you're hoping to do, and you're hoping to open up space for readers to kind of enter into your story, to lean closer, to pay attention, so that they can share something of themselves through that, too. You know, that's a really important statement, and it makes me think of when you write and maybe the first 30 pages are garbage and then you get to the meat of it and you go, oh yeah, this is where the story should start. And and a lot of times we write and then we kind of, we figure things out about ourselves and the story and where we're going. And then you have that aha moment and you have a new direction. Right. I mean, there was just for me, it was, I kept hearing from these writers, like, you are going to feel differently than you feel right now. You know, that's, yes. that's what they kept saying to me. And, I, and initially, my response was, well, I hope you're right. You know, I really hope you're right. And part of me didn't believe them. But I did get to that place. Mm-hmm. And now I can say that to other writers, too. You know, I've had the opportunity to go and talk to a lot of emerging memoir writers. And to be able to say that to them and actually mean it and understand that that is true has been a gift for me. So let's talk about your backstory, because uh, you're a teacher, and uh, I actually worked in Nashua, New Hampshire. I remember how freezing cold it was driving from Brookline. (laughs) Give you a lot of credit. Uh, So tell the listeners about what you do. So I um, have been teaching college part-time for the last, 15. I, I always kind of rank it. My daughter's ter- turning 15 tomorrow, Aww. and I was pregnant with her when I began teaching college. I was a public school teacher before that. Okay. Um, 
but I started teaching college about 15 years ago and teaching college writing. And so I teach um, at three different schools. I teach at the community college here in Nashua, and I also teach at Northeastern University in Boston and at Merrimack College in North Andover. Um, That's great. But... since the book has been published, it's kind of afforded me the opportunity to go and do a lot more kind of workshops and conferences and book talks. Um, I was just on Saturday, actually, um, the Menadnock Writers Group in Peterborough, New Hampshire, um, invited me to come and do a talk, and so I got to speak to a That's group great. of writers about about writing hard stories and also, you know, my memoir journey. So. Um, I'm getting a lot of those opportunities, That's which has great. been wonderful. And I, as I mentioned to listeners, I saw you in Poets and Writers, so I'm sure people have heard about you there as well. Yeah, and it was exciting this week, actually. Um, Random House Penguin has a blog called Signature Reads, mm-hmm. and on Thursday they posted a blog called The 16 Best Books for Memoir Writers, and they included that. my book in this Yay. list of just unbelievably stellar writers who are all kind of my writing heroes. So it was I was wow. deeply humbled and honored to have been included in that list. Congratulations. That's fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Where can people find out more about you? Um, my website is www.melaniebrooks.com. My Twitter handle is at Melanie J.M. Brooks. So they can visit me there, and you can send me an email through my website. Fantastic. Any last bit of advice you'd like to leave the listeners with? You can do it, I guess, is, All right. <laughs> is what I, what I want to say. You know, it, when it feels as hard as it does, you mm-hmm. can do it. And I say that more not just to writers. I say that to people who are going through really tough experiences because I think not everybody is going to write about them, but they still want to know from other people who have gotten through those things whether they are going to survive that. And, and you will survive that. Yes. Wow. I loved having you on again. This has been great. Well, thanks, Janine. It's been great to talk to you. Thank you. And I'll talk to you soon. I'll be in touch. All right. Take care. Thanks, Melanie. Bye-bye. That was Melanie Brooks calling in to talk about a lot of things, including her book, Writing Hard Stories, Celebrated Memoirists, Who Shaped Art from Trauma. If you want to learn more about Melanie, you can visit her website, melaniebrooks.com, and I have all her information up on my show blog, getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. I am on Twitter at moms underscore rock if you want to follow me there. If you want to find out about being a guest, uh, all you have to do is email me to Janine, J-A-N-E-A-N-E at kuci.org. I want to mention that uh, KUCI is on Twitter at KUCI-FM. We're on Instagram at KUCI-FM. We're on Tumblr at blog.kuci.org. And we're on Facebook at KUCI 88.9. We'll take a little break, and then I have another guest coming up. This is going to be really fun because Nam is in town, and I've got Carolyn Grant coming up at 9.30. She's the executive director of Nam's Museum of Making Music. Have you been to that place? It's amazing. It's in Carlsbad. There's all this great information up on my show blog as well about the Museum of Making Music, and which will there'll be a display at Nam as well coming up this week. The museum is in Carlsbad at 5790 Armada Drive. Again, all the info is on my blog. Get the funk out show.kuci.org. We'll take a little break, listen to one more Jeff Healy, and then I'll bring on my next guest. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine.